as we continue um, our worship together this morning to the preaching of God's word, I invite you first to join me in a prayer of confession. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we come this morning to confess um, before you uh, the frailty of our hearts, the, the weakness of the flesh that we struggle with. You are sovereign, you know all things, but we are intimately entwined in relationship with you, a holy God of the universe, through the shed blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ, the unique God-man. And you teach us for our spiritual well-being, for our love for one another, and most of all, for our worship and adoration of you, that it is good and fruitful for our souls that we confess. We have... Um, infinite need as we trod this fallen world for your power your worth your majesty uh the indwelling power of the spirit to resound within us Lord. so i ask that um you would quicken our hearts for that to be a longing that's at the forefront of our beings and we come to confess because we understand our sin you have taught us that it breaks intimacy fellowship with you not our standing in Christ, but the walk is uh, harmed. We need to be washed over and over by your mercy and grace and uh, a feeling of um, your strength and your wisdom to continue to flow and abound in us. So we ask these things. We come confessing our great need. We come that you may hear the sorrow of our sins as we long to walk in righteousness and we plead with you to um, strengthen us and uh, build us up and um, help us to walk righteously and to be light into this world, to be edifying to one another and to be light to the lost all around us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we come again to Acts chapter 27 and we pick up Paul and his cohorts. Uh, if you will, in the Mediterranean Sea, adrift in the midst of a hurricane. So the title of this morning's message is called All Hands Saved. Now, that's a funny title, right? But why would that be the title? Well, we know that an angel has met with Paul and assured him that everyone on board will be saved. Now, they're in the midst of this massive hurricane, but Paul knows that God will see them through, and not only will we see them through, but all on board will be saved. Now, something else is going to transpire. Do you remember from my last Lord's Day? All will be saved, but what? Something's going to happen to the ship, right? The ship will be lost, but not a single soul will be lost. Well, let's begin there in verse 27. I'm just going to read through to the end of the chapter, and that kind of takes us to uh, now we're going to see them find their way to Malta. So hurricane winds will blow them uh, from uh, Crete, or whether they've drifted off of Crete to the small island of, of Claudia, and from there they will go adrift. And they will find their way all the way now to Malta. And this is where we'll see this part of the journey as the hurricane blows them there from Claudia all the way to Malta. So look with me there, beginning in verse 27. 
But when the 14th night came, as we were being driven about in the Adriatic Sea, and let me just note there, it says the Adriatic, well, they're in the Mediterranean, but often the upper part of the Mediterranean, when they would, when they would uh, refer to that part of the Mediterranean, they would just say the Adriatic Sea sometimes. So they're not really up in there uh, high like we might imagine between Asia and Europe. They're, they're lower in the Mediterranean, but they often would refer to it in that regard. So they're still uh, um, on track as we dragged them uh, on last Lord's Day, uh, but they refer to it here as the Adriatic Sea. They just kind of, that's that upper part of the Mediterranean that they've been traversing. And it's about midnight, the sailors began to surmise that they were approaching some land. They took soundings and found it to be 20 uh, fathoms. And a little further, a little further on, another sounding and found it to be 15 fathoms. Fearing that we might run aground somewhere in the rocks, they cast forth anchors from the stern and wished for day. But as the sailors were trying to escape from the ship and had let down the ship's boat into the sea on a pretense of intending to lay out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. And the soldiers cut away the ropes of the, of the ship's boat and let it fall away. Until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them all to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day that you have been consistently watching and going without eating, having taken nothing. Therefore, I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your preservation, for not a hair from the head of any of you will perish. Having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all of them, and he broke it and began to eat. All of them were encouraged, and they themselves also took food. All of us in the ship were 226 persons. When they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing out the wheat into the sea. When day came, they could not realize the land, but they did observe a bay with a beach, and they resolved to drive the ship onto it if they could. And casting off the anchors, they left them in the sea, while at the same time, they loosed the ropes of the rudders, and hoisting the foresail to the wind, they were headed for the beach. But striking a reef where two seas met, they ran the vessel aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern began to be broken up by the force of the waves. The soldiers, uh, the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so that none of them would swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to bring Paul safely through, kept them from their intention and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land. Then the rest should follow, some on planks, other on, others on various things from the ship. And so it happened that they all were brought safely to land. Wow. What a journey. What a promise. What a fulfilled prophecy. The sovereignty of God is utterly unfathomable, y'all. And we just kind of, this is a beautiful text. And it just comes to light in so much detail, so much history. And there's much has been said about this text. A lot of nautical work over the years now have taken this text and studied through it and gone back. A lot of work has been done in the Mediterranean based off of what we hear from this text. It's so detailed. It kind of comes from a layman 
uh, a loop, but uh, it's not necessarily um, precise nautical language, but it's detailed and it's inaccurate. Now, you know, he's kind of a layman in terms of not being a sailor, but the language is nautical language in a sense, and it's very detailed. And uh, I have a cool little note here I'll mention to you a little later regarding that, but it's so precise. Um, and here we see the sovereignty of God at work in keeping his promise. And really, this whole text, that's, uh, that's kind of the forefront. Is we're going to see that, you know, we want to kind of lay that out there as a foundation, thinking about the sovereignty of God as God keeps his promise to Paul. And now we see that this is going to be Paul prophesies before all on board. And now we're going to see that prophecy fulfilled. As a matter of fact, that's all throughout Scripture. What validates Scripture over and over again, not only prophecy, but prophecy and a prominence that validates Scripture over and over again. And here's a unique prophecy because it is so detailed. And we have uh, the, the evidences there. And then we, we know the details of an eyewitness. And then they do make it aboard. And Paul does make it to Rome. And all did survive. And there's testimonies of this in all kinds of areas, certainly in Rome, up to the, to the leadership of Rome. And knows exactly what happened here. And now we had an eyewitness that told us way up front what would happen. And so it's a beautiful prophecy that was fulfilled and speaks volumes of the sovereignty of God. And that's just it. Our God is a promise-making and promise-keeping God, is he not? And so we see, we see here God make good on his promise to Paul. He's a promise-keeping God. Promise made, promise kept. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We find God's man here, Paul, in an absolute crisis, right? This, this journey, I mean, it makes you tired going through it. We're just sitting here going over it, and we get tired and anxious. And we know the outcome. No one here could imagine what these men have gone through. This is an absolute crisis. We see here Paul, God's man, tried by fire, and he's proven faithful. You want to know why Paul was proven faithful here? Now, certainly we see the prophecy fulfilled. We see the sovereignty of God at work. But as Paul, a believer just like us, is responding to God, I know we've said it before, and it's worth just mentioning again, yes, Yes, because sometimes we just leave Paul. Paul's too aloof for us to relate to as Christians. Yes, he had a unique role. No doubt. And it's glorious. But nonetheless, the same spirit of God that indwelled Paul is the same spirit of the God that indwells you if you're here as a genuine believer. Same God. Same sovereignty. Same calling. Same commission to some degree. In a general sense, same power in terms of the source. Now we're looking at an apostolic age here with Paul, so there's some uniqueness to that, yes. But the source of power that belonged to Paul is the indwelling spirit. It's the same source of power that belongs to you. Same calling belongs to you in a general sense. The same God that promises to you as his child. And will deliver just like he delivered to Paul. 
But here's what makes Paul in this text. Here's why Paul was proven uh, uh, faithful in a fiery trial. Paul believed God. Amen. Paul believed him. Think back with me just uh, just a few verses there to, to, to verse 25. Therefore, this is Paul talking to the crew after the Lord has sent an angel to speak the prophecy to him. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God that it will turn out exactly as he has told me. That's why he proved faithful. He believed God. And Paul showed himself faithful, right? He was a faithful leader. And we need leaders, don't we? Oh, my goodness, how we need leaders. Well, let me just say this. Let me broaden that out a bit. Christians are to lead others to gospel truth. You say, well, that's a little bit of a stretch, brother. Maybe, but it's true. We're to lead others to gospel truth. You're sitting here. If you're sitting here as a Christian, every, there, there's leadership roles within Christianity. Men, you're leaders of your home. Men, you're leaders of the church. And there's a role there. There's importance there. And there's some distinction there. But all of us as brothers and sisters in Christ are Christians that have been commissioned to go forth. And we lead the truth into the world. We are carriers of truth in a world that is washed with falsehood. And we've been commissioned to go forth and lead in that regard. We are carriers of the gospel. Christians are commissioned to lead others to gospel truth. So that means we have to make decisions, not excuses. We have to accept responsibility before our God and deal with criticism. Man, does the buck stop with you in your home? Yes. Elders, does the buck stop with us in the church? Yes. But every Christian has been commissioned by God to go forth and carry the gospel to the nations. Each Christian has a ministry context. You have a ministry context. It's been given to you sovereign by God. Now, can that change over time? Yes. But the context is still a context, is it not? That's been given to you by sovereign God. It's like he made you absolutely unique. Exactly like God. You know that there's nobody on the planet that's made exactly like you. God's equipped you and quickened you from spiritual death to spiritual life. And now he's placed you in a context and he's called you. You have a commission to go forth and carry the gospel. That makes you a leader in terms of your calling to carry the gospel forth. That's why I don't know about that, brother. Do you go with me? Of course I'll go with you. Do you need me to hold your hand? No. And so Paul here is a wonderful example for us every christian has been commissioned to go forth and carry the gospel every christian has a context and he or she is to lead with the gospel in word and in deed in his or her context demonstrating the gospel through actions that come from a transformed heart and verbally communicating the gospel message I want you to know this. You are the tip of God's arrow in your ministry context. And Paul was in a ministry context here, and it was volatile. But he's still the tip of the arrow 
there. You are the tip of the arrow in your ministry context. You have responsibility in leading the way to gospel truth. So what must you do? What must we do? We must learn to trust God. Oh, let Paul be an example for us. We must learn to trust God and selflessly deal with criticism and consequences. And we see that in spades with Paul. He is just dealing with it because he is, and he's dealing with it rightly because he believed God. So all that said, it is good for us to see leadership by example. And specifically, it's good for us to see leadership by example in Scripture. This is our source of truth and hope. And we're going to see that in Paul here. So true leaders know this. True leaders emerge in crisis. Lots of people say lots of things. They may sound good in the meeting rooms. But leaders emerge in crisis. You know, the times and the places where nobody wants to be and everybody wants to uh, shriek away from. That's where the leaders emerge. And know this about leaders, gospel leaders, because in some sense we're all called to be just that. Gospel leaders bear heavy burdens. And gospel leaders believe God. And gospel leaders obey God. And gospel leaders demonstrate their belief with action. You have access to God in your ministry context. Are you called to action as a Christian? Of course you are. And know this, as God's called you to action, you have access to him in your context that he sovereignly placed you in and placed you in as a unique creature of his own. And he's bought with a price, the blood of Jesus Christ, the, the second person of the Godhead has bought you out. God has uniquely shaped you and formed you and now reckoned you from death to life and placed you for your spiritual good and his namesake in a ministry context. The centrality of that context to be going forth and leading with the gospel into a lost world. That's a scary thought. And so when you ponder it, know this, you have access to God in your ministry context. God is present with you as you lead with the gospel in your ministry context. Well, let's think about where we've been here and kind of get us up to speed, thinking about Paul being that example for us here of faithfulness and believing God in the context that God has placed him in, which is volatile. Well, remember back, if we look back to verse 16 there, uh, they had taken shelter. They were in the, in the midst of a hurricane. And they had taken shelter at Claudia. And that's, uh, again, a small island off of Crete. So, they were, so they, were, they were blown off the bay there at Crete, trying to reach the, the, further, uh, um, the, the further most western part of Crete, which was uh, a bay that was, that was more suitable for just sitting it out through the winter. So they tried to make that little jump. And the wind shifted on them, and the hurricane caught them, and, the, and they find themselves all of a sudden uh, changing from a nice little southerly breeze to a nor'easter. So it drives them down to Claudia. 
And there they found their way around the bottom side of Koja to take a little shelter from the wind. So they had a few, they had a little time there to try to prepare the ship as she was going to certainly continue to be thrust um, southwest. So they were working on the ship there. They brought in a lifeboat. They frapped the ship, if you remember. So they bound it up transversely to try to hold uh, the sides of the ship together around the frame. And as they're, as they're dealing with this, as they're frapping the ship and they're lowering the mast some degree to try to, to uh, avoid being pushed too far south into what would be northern Africa, and there there's grand, great sandbars that stretch all across and, and making a, a very dangerous reef there in northern Africa. So that was called the shallows of Sartis, and so they were frightened of hitting the shallows of Sartis and the ship just breaking all to pieces. So they tried to make provision to see if they can be pushed further along and avoid that. And so they've done these things. And we get to verse uh, verse 18. It says they uh, tossed the cargo. And then by the time we get to verse 20, well, all hope is lost, man. They can't see that the, 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 storm, has, the storm has engulfed them. And there's a, a long period of time. And now at this point, they can't see the sun. They can't see the stars. There's no even, even if they could navigate slightly, there's no hope of navigating because they can't see. They are, they, they, the, the sun's, they're unable to see the sun. Night, we're unable to see the stars. They're just in this, this fog, this doom of this hurricane being tossed about to and fro. And scripture tells us that all hope was lost. And then, in the midst of doom, God brings his man center stage. Let's just go over that language again there. Look with me, beginning there in verse 21. When they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. Yet now I urge you to keep up your courage. For there will be no loss of life among you, but on this ship. For this very night, an angel of God, to whom I belong and to whom I serve. Remember, that's a a very uh, definitive language there. Whom I serve translates really to whom I worship. Stood before me saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. Didn't he know that? Paul knew that all along. And now he's been reassured. When it looks bad, when the circumstances look bad, here's a little reminder. God is with Paul. This comes along, sends an angel. Paul, I'm here. You know you're going to Rome. You know you're going to stand before Caesar. And a matter of fact, but you know, since you're here, buddy, I'm just going to save everybody. Not a person's going to be lost on this voyage. I'm going to spare them out. Now you tell me. Tell them your God has informed you that I'm going to spare them all out. Just because you're on board. Behold, God has granted you all those who were sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. There it is. So there Paul tells them exactly what's going to take place. And that sets the stage. So while we hear this, while this is preserved for us by the Holy Spirit in Scripture, because it sets the stage to remind us 
that the display of God's glory is here being fulfilled in fulfilled prophecy. Paul's reputation is on the line here right now. So here we have that. So God sets the stage to display his grandeur. This is who I am, and this is what I'm going to do. Let them know. The God of all glory, the God of heaven and earth is going to bring them through. Just because they're with you, Paul, and you're my man. I have commissioned you to stand before Caesar. It will take place, and I'm going to let everyone go with you to see it. I'm going to spare them out. And notice, he spares them out, but it's not a cakewalk through, y'all, is it? It's an arduous journey. Fraught with peril. Ain't going to see him through. Every one of them. But now Paul's reputation is on the line, isn't it? Now here's where the rubber meets the road. And that's what we must understand. Is our reputation going to be on the line or not? It's on the line. His reputation is on the line. And Paul's good with that because his reputation is bound up in God's promise. So here's a question for us up front. Is our, is our reputation, is your reputation bound up in God's promise? Because he has a call on your life. And he's made a promise to you. And he's commissioned you. Is your life bound up in his promise? Where is your reputation resting? Where's our reputation resting? There's an application there. Oh, that that would be true of us. That our reputation would be be bound up in the promise of God. Well, that brings us to the first point here. I want you to see the panicked crew there in verses 17. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Verse 27 through 32. Look there with me in verse 27. So again, uh, they're, they're in the Mediterranean. We just kind of are looking at that kind of top portion of the Mediterranean there. So they're being driven about by the Adriatic Sea, but we know that they're adrift off Claudian. So uh, they're, they're headed straight to Malta. And we track this back and we see what transpired. They're on a straight course to Malta in the middle of a hurricane where they cannot uh, uh, steer really at all. And they hit a beeline to Malta. Now, Malta is a speck on the map. The percentages of this happening is incalculable. This is the sovereignty of God at hand. I mean, there's no way. Look, the Mediterranean is a big sea. This is a dot. And they just nail it. In the midst of a hurricane with no way to steer. So it's about the 14th night. And they've been driven about. And says it's about midnight. So in the middle of the night, the sailors began to surmise that they were approaching some land. Now, how do you think they surmised that? What do you think happened? We, it doesn't say here. So we're kind of thinking out loud. But one thing uh, that, you, that might come to mind, and certainly, certainly sailors would be keen to this, if you're anywhere close to land and you're on the water, you can hear something, can't you? Yes, you could. That's, I hadn't thought about that. That's good. You can hear something that's a little, that's, that's more consistent. The waves. So they probably, they could have heard birds. They probably, or both, but they certainly could have heard, as we see, we're going to see how far out they are. It's going to give us that uh, roundabout. But 
it certainly could most likely hear waves begin to crash ashore. So they reckon that they're close to land. So they, they can't see a thing, but they hear and they reckon. So they surmise that they're approaching some land. So knowing this, it says they took soundings. Now, a sounding, that's just a depth, a depth measurement. So it's, it's a line with uh, a lead weights attached to it at certain uh, measures. So they just would let, it, let, let them over and take a depth measurement. And so that's a sounding. So they found it to be 20 fathoms. Um, it's about 120 feet. And so that's, uh, uh, they, they, they checked that, but they're about 20 fathoms out. A little further on, they take another sounding and find that are 15 fathoms out. Now that's, that's a pretty rapid change. So what does that tell them? They're, they're approaching shore, yes. So that's a good thing, right? But it's fast. So, and we get that in the next statement they make. So they see that this thing is shortening and it's happening quickly. In verse 29, it says, fearing that we might run aground, and there's Luke with his we again, fearing that we might run aground uh, <clears throat> somewhere on the rocks, they cast forth anchors from the stern, from the stern and wished for daybreak and wished there's literally prayed. Now, uh, it, it could be the prisoners in, in this as well, but certainly the crew is really at focus here at center. So the crew knows what's going on. This, this could go bad. So they, so they put out the anchors and it says they were just wishing for daybreak so they could see something to know what they might be facing. And uh, these, uh, these Roman sailors are just praying to, to someone. Day might come. But look at verse 30. Oh, my, my. What a tangled web we weave here. So it says, but the sailors were trying to escape from the ship. And they had let down the ship's boat into the sea on the pretense of intending to lay out anchors from the bow. So they're at the bow trying to anchor now the bow. Or, or pretending to anchor the bow, but actually they're letting out the lifeboat. It, should, it must be a pretty large lifeboat if you're going to carry the whole crew. Um, I don't know if every single sailor was there, but it seems like uh, quite a few of them. So the crew's there. And so they're just going to escape. They're going to try to get out and make a run for it on their own. And Paul has told them, these guys are sailors. Paul has told them exactly what would transpire in terms of they're all going to make it. The ship is going to be lost, but you're going to make it. Let me just uh, mention this to you. And, and, and these people, you know, they don't know where they are in the Mediterranean, but they're sailors. And to be even close to land is miraculous at this point. So from Claudia uh, <clears throat> to, to Malta is approximately 476 miles. And now this has been calculated. They've worked on this over the years. And this is a pretty cool thing. So the people have taken this, this little estimation here with all its details and really worked this over. And so driven by uh, approximately, you know, with the calculations, driven by hurricane force wind, given the size of the ship uh, that they had. So they're making some estimations here. But given the size of the ship, driven by hurricane force winds, the ship would drift about 36 miles every 24 hours. And estimations from, from Claudia to Malta, that's about 13 days. Now you add the one day from Fairhaven to Claudia. What do you got? <laughs> 14 days. Exactly. So the precision here is just marvelous. And these guys, 
to even think about being close to land would just is, is unimaginable at this point. And Paul told them that they're going to survive, but here they are in panic. And so they've plotted to escape, you know. Well, look, we're close to ground. This ship's going to break up. This could go bad. We could die. Let's just take the smaller vessel. We might have a better shot at it. They're trying to escape here. So under this guise of dropping out the anchor, the sailors plan this thing. No one really expected this, it doesn't seem like, except who? Who thought something like this might transpire? You see there in the text? Verse 31. Paul said to the, to, the to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. So apparently everybody else was just assuming, you know, we're going to anchor here and try to hold till daybreak and make it. Nobody thought there might be a mutiny. There might be some, de some deserters. There might be some trying to escape. But Paul did. You know why Paul did? Because he's a Christian. Look, we are living in a culture, and we talked about this men uh, just the other night. We're living in a culture where that's polarized, and there's 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 uh, uh, division and, and um, diverse ideologies, and and uh, people on all sides of this. Are, you know, the, the conversation is always if you just hold to the to to. Our ideology, if you just follow our, our ideology through, if you just trust, if you just do it this way, we'll build a utopia. If you just galvanize everyone, if you just, you know, come on board. The Christians know that's foolish. Why do we know that? Let me give you something that's really going to help you. That just seems to be lost in our culture because we've walked away from the foundational truths of Scripture. We're not good. We're sinful. We're born in Adam. We're born dead in our trespasses and sins until God quickens us from spiritual death to spiritual life. We will not be good. Of course, Paul knew somebody might try to pull something like this because he knows they're sinners. He knows they're fallen and lost and selfish. Now, there can be bright moments, you know, amongst a uh, 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 fallen man, but you understand what I'm saying. Paul's not surprised by this at all. He's probably looking for it. So he finds him. And he goes right to the authority. So he has respect for authority. He goes right to the authority. But listen to the language. It's very interesting. He finds the centurion there in verse uh, 31 and the soldiers. And he says to him, look, unless these men, which is the crew, so that's all the sailors now. Again, every single one, I don't know, but we're seeming possibly. What we're saying, you know, the vast majority of the crew there. Unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. Wow. Well, again, he goes straight to the centurion. So that, that, again, Paul doesn't take this in his own hands. He doesn't say, this is what you must do, or I'm going to uh, extract um, something from these men. He goes to the authority. So he gives that, he, he gives him, he leaves himself as a prisoner. 
He doesn't try to usurp where he is sovereignly before God. Now, there's something for us to learn there, but he acts wisely. Now, for, let, me, let me say this as well. You're never going to catch Paul saying, you know, let go and let God. You ever hear that? This is nonsense. That's not, that has no scriptural foundings. Christians don't let go and let God. God told him exactly what was going to happen. And when these men tried to uh, escape, Paul was ready for that. It was not surprising to him. But then he comes back and he pours in. He, he couldn't stand. Well, you know, God will take care of that. I know we're all going to be there safely. No. Because he believes that they're all going to get there safely, he acts. Do you see the difference? Do you understand the difference in that? That's two vastly different realities. This is fatalism to just say, let go and let God. That's fatalism. That's not faith. Paul actually believed that God was going to get everybody there safely. So he comes back and reports to the centurion. Hey, look, you've got a whole crew trying to escape. If they, if, they try, if they escape and get off here, nobody's coming out of this thing alive. Not y'all. I'll be going to Rome. You better get this right. I told you what's going to transpire. We're going to lose the boat. Everybody's going to make it safe. They're trying to divert God's will, the God that told me what's going to transpire, the God that I worship. Paul acted upon this because he did believe God. Look, when you believe God, you don't sit back and say, just let, let, don't let God. You act. If you're not acting, you, you're not believing. We're seeing God, we're seeing Paul in full action here because, that, because he does believe what God said. So here's an application. There's a necessity of man's action to carry out God's purpose. That's worship. We don't hear God and say amen and sit idly by. Amen. As my, my, my pop would say, you don't, you don't sit, on, sit on your fist and lean back on your thumb and just wait for things to happen. You act because you've been quickened by God to believe. So this is the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. I mean, it's right there. <laughs> you want to see in Scripture? Right there it is. Both are true. Is God absolutely sovereign? Yes, he is. In real space and time, do we have a, do we have a responsibility to that? Yes, we do. Well, Brother John, how do you work that out? What philosophy? I don't. That's what scripture says. Can I get by with that? Sure, I can. We're short on time. I can get by with that. We'll talk later. Look. I'll joking aside. That's the reality. That's what scripture gives us. But here's what happens. There's real belief. Paul believed. Thus, he exercised all means to affect God's promises. He did what was necessary. He went right to the top boldly because he believed. He believed and he was informed by God's word. That's how we must live. We must believe God and continue to be informed by his word. And as we're informed by his word, we act in any given situation that he sovereignly placed us in uniquely with our gifts, our talents, our capacity, trusting him in faith and acting. On that trust, being informed continually by his word. So look at verse 32 there. Then the soldiers come. So they say, well, okay, we're going to put a stop to this. So they gather back in the sailors. But then it says this. The soldiers come and cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it fall away. And we might be thinking, well, man, that was a bit overkill, right? We could have used that at some point. 
They just cut the thing away. Now, I don't want to read too much into the text here because it doesn't go into detail. But let me say this on principle that we see throughout Scripture that's good for our souls. Let me give you a little application here. Sometimes, now hear this, sometimes misused good things must be removed to keep us from temptation. There's a good application for our Christian walk right there that we see. That thing was cut away. That's a problem. It was a good thing. And they had worked hard to bring it this far, but they have not idolized it. And when that baby might be a problem, gone. Sometimes you got to cut it loose. Stuff that you're really attached to that you can find lots of good stuff to do with, lots of reasons that, man, I should hold on to that because, man, I could really create lots of stuff with that. And all along, God said, you got to turn that loose and believe what I'm telling you and act. Amen, somebody? You got to turn the lifeboat loose sometimes. Put it away and march on. So this thing was cut loose. That brings us to the bold apostle. So look there in verses 33 to 38. Now until the day was about dawn, Paul was encouraging them. How about that? He was encouraging them. Then he says to, uh, to them, take food. Saying today is the fourteenth day that you have been continuously, uh, continuously watching and going without eating, having taken nothing. Therefore, I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your preservation. For not a hair from the head of any of you will perish. Now he's reassuring them again. Having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he broke it and began to eat. And all of them were encouraged, and they themselves also took food. All of us in the ship were about 200 and what, excuse me, were 276 persons. When they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing out the wheat into the sea. Wow. Now, it says their day was about to dawn. So they couldn't really see anything yet. They, they, their eyes, they couldn't lay their eyes on what could be out there that would reassure them. They're just believing what Paul said. Now, hear the man. This is this is a leader in action. This is a Christian acting in a given situation that is not comfy. He's leading with the gospel, and it could cost him. So he's leading. Now, when that when there's uh, mutiny, not surprised, right there, ready to go. So you see, look, it's not just faith; it's faith, and, and, and he's savvy. The guy's savvy. He's using his noggin. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing says that, that once you become a Christian, you just have to you just have to just be this foolhard. No, we should be all the more wise. Faith is trusting God, and then that God has created you and given you unique capacity, and taking that and laying all of that underneath the Word of God to inform you that you might be all the more wise for all the right reasons and act. My goodness, we should be the most savvy folks on the planet. Paul was right there, right there, never caught off guard. And now, order's been restored, and then Paul goes right from being the taskmaster to bring things back into order, now to being the encourager. It's about to dawn, but he's encouraging, man, take some food. Today's the 14th day, and you've been continuously watching and going out and going without eating and having taken nothing. 
Therefore, be encouraged. Take some food. And it reminds me again, not a hair on one of your head, you know, it's going to be lost. In other words, you're not going to die. That's, that's kind of a, an old Hebraism for you. You're not going to die. And then he himself breaks bread and gives thanks and begins to eat. And they are encouraged and they follow him and they take food. What a leader. What a leader this guy is. And there's an example for us. So here's probably goes right. Now, when he gets the first opportunity, he goes right to encourage him. He says, look, y'all need some food. Why, why do you think? And he's practical. We're supposed to be, we should be the most practical people on the planet. Why do you think, why do you think Paul was telling him, look, you're gonna, you need to eat. You need to eat something. Yeah, and you haven't eaten in a long time. Now would be a good time to eat. Be encouraged. Take heart. I'm going to break bread. And I'm going to eat. And I'm going to give thanks before them all. He got them all there. He got them all there. And he gave thanks to God. See, this wasn't some long sermon. And trust me, right? I'm all for sermons, right? But look, he just prayed and thanked God for his provision of food. They still had some food to eat. And he gave thanks that God had brought them through this far. And that moved those men, and they were encouraged. They were encouraged by Paul taking bread and giving thanks to God. This man had impact on their lives. But why do you think he just did something practical like saying, you know, now would be a good time to eat? Yes, they did. Who knew that? Paul knew. They might have still had some hopes, right? I'm going to say they probably did. They might say, you know, uh, daybreak, this could get good. We might land this baby and walk ashore. Paul's having none of that, right? He knows. The angel of the Lord told him the ship is going to be lost. Not damaged, lost. Y'all going to swim. Paul knows that, hey, hey, it's going to be a good day, fellas. It's going to be tough. Need a little bite to eat. Get ready because you're going for a swim. And he encouraged them. There's going to be a great struggle. And so he prepares them for it. He prepares them for the good breakfast. Hey, scriptural evidence for a hearty breakfast. I'm good with that. And all the men in the house said amen. So he acted in faith concerning their physical strength, their physical well-being, and he encouraged them to eat. And he gave thanks in the presence of them all. So Paul's belief in God and God's promise and his sincere thankfulness impacted these men, and they were cheered up. Now, this is not a very cheery situation. It's long and arduous. They have been beaten to the end of their wits. Just at the right moment, Paul comes along, and he cheers them. He reprimands them at the right moment, and he cheers them, and he, cheer, he brings them, to, and, he, and he encourages them and cheers them up at the right moment, all in faith. That's the key. Paul's being used by God because he believed what God said. And it was sincere. Paul was bold. Look at verse 37. All of us in the ship were 276 persons. Now there, uh, Luke just interjects that right there to remind us. Okay, so now we see how many's on there finally. And right here is the perfect place for, for Luke to just put that in and remind us there's 276 because that's going to be important because there's going to be, there's going to be, the ship's going to be uh, uh, brought asunder. They're going to have to swim to shore. And the promise was they're all going to make it. Well, how do you know if everybody makes it? You need to know who everybody is, right? How do you know who everybody is? Got to have a head count. 
So Paul just, just, I mean, excuse me, Luke just lays that in there for us right quick. Oh, well, there was a head count. There's 276 of us. And when they hit the shore, 276 lines. Prophecy fulfilled. So we're given this number right here for us to just pause. So this is a pause for us right here. If we track out to the end of this look of this section of scripture, this is a pause for us to just sit back and kind of soak in the sovereignty of God. 276 souls promised life after the ship is brought out from under them. 276 souls uh, go ashore. And apparently all of them couldn't swim. We'll get to that. So you didn't even have to be able to swim through this one. You're still going to make it. That's sovereignty. So verse 38. When they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship and throw out the wheat into the sea. So they had kept a portion of wheat, which I guess to, to, to some point they had tried to use it as maybe some sustenance. But at this point, it's, it's sea soaked and it's salted and ruined. But it was serving as a ballast, was what we would most, most likely surmise. And they said, well, you know, uh, we don't need that anymore. Actually, it's going to be better. It's, you know, it's going to get shallow and it's going to be better for us if we lighten the load. So they had a hearty breakfast and they, and they got ready to do the hard work because they're fixing to be ashore. So they trusted Paul's word and yet they couldn't see. So they're dumping everything, even their sustenance is gone now. So they trust in Paul. And that brings us to the beached vessel, verses 39 through 44. When day came, they could not recognize land. In other words, they didn't know what island they were on. They didn't know where they were. But they did observe a bay with a beach, and they resolved to drive the ship onto it if they could. And casting off the anchors, they left them in the sea. But at the same time, they were loosening the ropes of the rudders and hoisting the foresail to the wind. They headed for the beach. But striking a reef where two seas met, they ran the vessel aground, and the prow struck fast, and, and, and remained immovable, but the stern began to be broken up by the force of the waves. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so none of them would swim ashore and escape. But the centurion, wanting to bring Paul safely through, kept them from uh, their intention and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest should follow some on planks and others on various things from the ship. And so it happened. All excuse, that happened that that they all were brought safely to land. Wow! 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 So we hit daybreak. They don't know the islands, not recognizing them. These are sailors; they've been up and down through here, but they don't recognize where they are. Many means, but they saw, uh, uh, if you were just uh, so uh, a burst of water, a stream of water pouring out from what they recognize to be a bay. Now, there is a bay on Malta, on Malta uh, to this day. You know what the name of that bay is? Shipwreck Bay. Uh, that would be a great name, <laughs> but uh, that's close. There's, it's named, it has its name because of that shipwreck. St. Paul's Bay. You go visit sometime. St. Paul's Bay to this day. Now, interestingly here, uh, our text tells us something that's pretty interesting. And then when you can, we need to try to get, a, I'm trying to give you a mental picture up here, what's going on. So they plan to run. They see this little, little kind of stream jetting out from the bay. So they're, they're, they, and they see a beach. So they're trying to, they anticipate a bay coming. They're probably, at this point, they're probably about three miles when they estimated all this stuff 
looking back, so possibly about three miles off the bay, going east to west. So they're trying to, uh, they're going to try to come around and catch the bay so they can see it. So you can see water coming out, and it looks to be a beach, so they're anticipating this. And it says there in verse 40, after they, after they prepare and they head out, it says in verse 41, striking a reef where the two seas met. Now, that's a very interesting language that I try to um, translate. But if we go to St. Paul's Bay, a visual really helps us here. So in St. Paul's Bay, there's an island inside the bay. And it's, it's not in the middle of the bay. It sets off to one side. So when you're approaching the bay, as you begin to round and come into the bay and see the bay, the island looks like part of shore. Is this making a, a visual for you? So the island looks like part of shore. But it's not. There's waters behind it. And because of the, the proximity to the back of the island, to the shore, they become rapid. And it's, it's offset, so they have a force. So you come into the bay, and then all of a sudden there's a force of waters that whirl. And it begins to draw you down around behind the island. And because of these two waters swirling around the island and gathering, they gather up big, large sandbars all along behind this little island that's between the shore. It's about approximately 100-plus yards from the island to the shore. And so that's the reef that's being described here. That's actually where the vessel will land. So they prepare here. They pull up anchors. They leave the anchors in the sea. And they loosen the ropes on the side rudders. That's where it's on the side of the ship. And they hoist the foresail, the front sail, a little bit to try to steer somewhat. And they head for the beach. But then here in verse 41, that's the reef. It's behind that backside of that island. And so the ship is kind of sucked in, whirled a bit, and crashes into the sandbars that have built up. In the water behind the backside of the island there. You getting a visual? Has anybody got that up? I wish I had that, but I can't. I need to get a good one. So maybe y'all can. Y'all can look at it later. Um, but that's the dynamics going on here. And so in verse 42, it says the soldiers, they plan to kill all the prisoners. Now, there's repercussions for the soldiers if they lose prisoners. And, and, and the, the, the biggie is that they have to kind of take the place of the prisoner. So you got to serve his sentence. So that's a lot of motivation not to lose a prisoner. So they were frightened. That some, still, they're still not fully believing Paul, right? So they're frightened that some of these uh, uh, prisoners might get away. You know, the ship will, the ship will wreck. Um, we'll have to make a swim for it. And some of these guys might get away. So what we need to do is just kill them all off. And then there's no chance that somewhere later on these guys showing up and somebody finding out that they escaped. We need to kill them, including Paul, right? And what and Paul saved them numerous times already. Save them, assure them that they're going to make, told them exactly what's going to happen, assure them that they're going to make it safely ashore, and encourage them numerous times. Save them when he when he uh, um, got the centurion to stop the sailors from trying to abandon ship. And now here they are. Some thankfulness, huh? Some gratitude, right? Well, let me just take a moment here. Check your motive. If you're looking to get a pat on the back from fallen man, you've got the wrong motive. Sadly, this would cripple some of us at this point. This is where we would just wither. How could they do that to me? Look, Paul never flinched because, look, he loves these men. 
His heart is overflowing with gospel love. And the same should be true of us. But he's nobody's fool. God has to do a work in these men. He's got a mission to carry the gospel truth and to, and to risk life and limb to do it because he loves these people. He longs for them to come to Christ. He's going to see them, uh, uh, the prophecy of his God worked out through space and time amid, with, with, with the cunning of men, with, with the work and, 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 and a perseverance of men, all the, the attributes of man working in this, but God sovereignly bringing it about. They're going to see this. He longs to see them saved. He prays for them. But he's nobody's fool. He's not looking for them to hit shore and everybody hoist him up on his shoulders. He's not looking for that. I was watching a little documentary on, on Hank Aaron just last night. and uh, One of his first big home runs of his career was to put uh, then uh, um, his team into the World Series. Uh, which had been the Milwaukee Braves at that time. And uh, uh, so after he hit the home run, the guys, the old the old classic looking, all the guys of uh, surrounding home plate, and he touched home plate, and they lift him up on their shoulders, and they're carrying him off, you know, in victory. Paul had no s- such notion. This didn't, this didn't cause him to faint. So we need to learn here. If you're looking for accolades from man, you have the wrong motive. These guys turned on him. There was one that wanted to see Paul through. Now he wants to see everybody through because he believed Paul. And he'd been kind to Paul already, so he knew something about this guy. But this centurion, man, which the Romans, man, not so good with governors, but they're pretty good at picking centurions. There's some character guys serving as centurions in that, in that army. And it, and it was a brutal army, no doubt about it. Some pretty quality guys. So the centurion steps in. Wanting to bring Paul safely and through, and not just Paul, but all of them. He kept them from, uh, from their intentions and commanded that those who could swim jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest should follow. Some on planks, others on various things from the ship. So it happened. They all made it ashore alive. Now, I just find there's something that I, I think that's practical, man. If y'all can swim, if you can swim, you know, go first. And everybody, leave the stuff for the folks that can't swim. Because, you know, if you can't swim, that was practical. If you can't swim, you need a board. Okay? If you can make it, it's about 100 yards. If you can make it, you know, big guy, go for it. Uh, if you're going to need some planks and other stuff from the boat, something to keep you afloat, hang out. So he, so he holds them back, and, and that's the way they go. So they go in, in, in two waves. And here's the reality. The last of verse 44. And so it happened. Surprise? Anybody surprised? No. And so it happened. They were all brought safely to land. Now, look, we're not seeking gratitude from man. That's not our motivation. We're seeking God's will. Centurion, the centurion came to Paul's aid and everyone's aid at that point because he believed Paul. He believed Paul because Paul believed God. God spared Paul and they could not make God's promise not effectual. 
do it all. Man, they tried a couple times. God spread them all out. And so here's the deal. Paul had assured them that they would get there safely, and God fulfilled that promise. God gave Paul that promise, and God fulfilled it. He used prudence. He used skill. He used struggle. He used uh, everything within man's capacity as a means through this journey, but he brought it about all the while it was God sovereignly bringing it about, and we see prophecy fulfilled. And from Paul's perspective, this is what it would hinge on. Paul believed God. His reputation was staked on the promise of God alone, and it moved him to action every step of the way. What about us? Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you this morning for your mercy and grace. We thank you for your um, uh, uh, preserving this wonderful journey, this amazing um, prophecy fulfilled journey for us in Scripture that we might learn just who you are and um, be reminded of uh, who we are in Christ. And may you take these words, these truths, and uh, seal them deep in our hearts that we would know you more fully and that we would live in obedience to you. Oh, how we need your mercy and grace that we might act. We ask in the name of Christ. Amen.